how are you? I am your host, Jordan Burnoff, and you are listening to episode two of Into the Bush, a podcast that explores the stories, perspectives, and teachings from knowledge keepers, PhDs, the Bush people, people from all walks of life to explore the topic of environmentalism. Hear from differing perspectives to educate and challenge the way that you think. These are the stories of the people that live off the land, the people that fight to protect it, and those that are finding their way through it. In today's episode, we will be joined by Tafiao McMaster. Tafiao is joining us all the way from Aotearoa, otherwise known as New Zealand. Tafiao holds a Bachelor of Law, a major in law, and a major in Tehanga Maori, Maori Cultural Studies, as well as a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Maori and Pacific Development. Tafiao is on the legal team that fought a century-long battle to gain human rights for the life-giving Whanganui River, or Whanganui River, where he calls home. Tafio, welcome, my friend. Uh, let's open up the conversation today with a little bit of an introduction to who you are. Um, you know, why environmentalism, or you know, this this pathway toward protecting and honoring culture and the land is so important to you. Kilda, um, yeah, no, thanks for that intro, Jordan. Um, Pretty much as you said, born and raised in um, Wanganui, and um, born and raised, educated in uh, in Te Ao Māori and the Māori world, in our cultural world down here in New Zealand, in Aotearoa, and um, have a legal background. Fortunately, had a good enough family support system to actually go to uni and get a legal qualification, as well as some others, and... Um, after university, went straight into practice for a couple of years. Now, in the capital of New Zealand, Wellington, and um, pretty much just designing and reforming a whole bunch of the environmental laws, as well as building the capability of our Ministry for the Environment staff members, mostly in a cultural sphere, and um, sit on other iwi governance boards, including my own where an iwi is a tribe and our tribal entity is recognised in largely um, governance boards. So I'm sitting on our one for the Whanganui River or Whanganui River um, and beside that there's there's a there's a kōrero, there's a saying of um, tangata whenua which is people of the land. Tangata is translated as person and whenua is the land um, and as tangata whenua people of the land it's quite inherent as Māori to be quite active in fighting for what it is that we believe in um, overall First Nations people as a whole and that's why it's so beautiful because it's easy for us to connect on that sphere we kahate Māori ki te tangata te ao Māori and First Nations people as a whole are um are strong in personifying the environment we live in. So when we look at a mountain uh, down here, what we do is we go ekoro, where we personify the mountain as a grandfather, or ekui, we personify the mountain as a grandmother. 
because like a grandmother and grandfather, they take care of us. They provide pristine fresh waterways um, for eels and for drinking water. So um, when someone comes along, a Pākehā, a white man comes along and, you know, attempts to ruin those and more recently is failing at it now, uh, we're going to be improving ourselves to fight and carry on that type of fighting. There's a saying, <laughs> there's a saying by one of our tūpuna ancestors and it goes, Kua hurikeau i taku taiaha me taku patu mo te pene me te pepa. I've changed and evolved from using my spear and my shorthand axe to using and fighting with the pen and the paper. So I kind of embodied that in growing up, thinking, okay, I'll be trying my best to master these things. So that way, in our own new evolved way, can fight for some of the stuff. And that's essentially all of us in Wanganui as a whole. It's quite an inherent belief in us wanting to make sure that our river, our, mount, our mountains, where the waters come from and its many tributaries, are taken care of. More recently, we've been trying to look into ourselves to go, okay, Pākehā, um, Europeans and the white man done this. What are we doing for that? Against it, what have we done already? What worked, what didn't work? And are we doing similar bad practices? Are we over using our, what, what the white man call resources? Um, are we not replenishing our waterways because we're just swamping them up. So yeah, there's small things like that that I'll probably expand on later on in all the corridor and all the dialogue that we have. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, essentially, in changing my use from the spear and the shorthand X to the pen and the paper, that's been at the background of a lot of my thoughts in fighting for the things that we hold so dearly. Yeah. Maybe let's talk about the Wanganui River and the significance to you and to, you know, your family growing up and to your community and, and Maori people. You know, I think on the legal side of things, you talked talked about this personification of, of nature and these ecosystems that we live in. So maybe uh, without me going too deep into it, this, this personification of this river, you know, the government now recognizes that and not that it takes the government to recognize, you know, our, our land as, as living and breathing, but to be able to win such a long battle, that's incredible. So you're absolutely right. Um, it's, I will say and repeat the same thing that a lot of us say anyway that the Westminster legal system is still catching up to a lot of our cultural beliefs. And in the middle as a meeting ground was the legal personification of our river. Its makeup is very important because like you said, it was the longest New Zealand legal case in our history. Um, and it actually started from the late 1800s where the settlers were taking some of the river um, some of the riverbed so that way it would be easier for steamboats and cold coal driven boats to go up the river um, 
And when they were doing that, they were ruining a lot of our food supplies. And in doing that, they were just killing off our people because they had nothing to live by. Killing off our culture because our people were moving from isolated safe havens that we call as pa villages to go into the townships where the settlers were establishing themselves and becoming like the settlers in that colonial sphere. Um, but yeah, I can't really talk too, too much about the legal makeup of the river and its claim to its settlement. I'll first start off with talking about the Whakapapa, the genealogy of the Wanganui River, and then I'll jump into some significant events that kicked off our legal battle, then some of the important events in settling that legal battle, that legal battle with the Crown. Um, so in the olden days, essentially, we all know Maui from the movie Moana. <laughs> um, a bit different to us here in Aotearoa compared to our whanaunga, our cousins over in Hawaii. But essentially, when Maui was fishing with his brothers, Maui fished up the North Island and in trying to settle the North Island, he asked Ranginui, the Sky Father, um, for some assistance in prayer. So he started chanting, and when Ranginui, the Sky Father, heard him, he gifted Maui and the North Island, the fish, uh, with a great mountain called Matuatemana or Ruapehu, who was the supreme authority over these lands. Um, essentially, Ruapehu, the mountain, the supreme mountain, felt a bit lonely and asked Ranginui for some more friends. And we have a cluster of mountains around the big one that we call Ruapehu. In doing that too, Maui had then asked for something to embody Ranginui's, our Sky Father's love for Papa Tuanuku since they are separate. And Ranginui gave two tears to Ruapehu, which established the river. One tear is the Wanganui River, and the other tear is the Waikato River. Both of them, their main source comes from our mountain Ruapehu, and span over the entire of our North Island, essentially, uh, with various connecting waterways. What, ha what happened from there was, there was a naming of Maui over the mountain to lay claim to it, which is Parite Taitonga. That's the tip, utmost highest point of our North Island. And also in doing that, Matua Te Mana, Ruapehu, the supreme mountain recognised the river as another half because of its softness, its care, and the life that comes from the water of Wanganui. Um, we personify Wanganui as a kuia, as a grandmother. So we've got a koro, a grandfather, and a kuia, a grandmother, where the grandfather's the mountain. Um, and in holding to that, essentially we when it came to the colonizers coming along and just like um, anyone hurting, taking water, taking life source, taking blood from our river, um, we fought against it. One of the one of the things that Maya Kuturama, 
had described to um to the tribunal in its court hearing was that if you picture your grandmother sitting there um, minding her own business taking care of everything that she should like a regular grandmother does then a white man comes along and starts draining your grandmother of her blood without giving her any water without replenishing her or giving her any food eventually your grandmother's going to get sick eventually your grandmother will die so when he had said that um, it said that pretty much the judges at the time the tribunal those who were hearing it all stopped looked down at their feet in shame at the realization of this different relationship that we have with the river and their understanding of it yeah um and that same that same facado that same thought followed through from the late 1800s where they were taking the riverbed out they were diverting and draining the waterways and establishing this township i think hydro kind of falls under that that realm of of what is considered clean or renewable energy but you know this is this is the cost of that type of energy and i think it's pretty common a lot of, around a lot of indigenous communities that you know our water systems have been exploited for um the expansion of communities was there anything else you wanted to to add on on that piece with the hydro of the river in particular it's yeah. a really yeah. outdated one like picture the worst hydro systems that you can <laughs> and that is it it's just poor practices poor makeup and honestly it's so heavily relied upon that you can't really say no to it yeah and so right now is that still like a main source of energy for Waikato and, and Whanganui? It is it's still a main source of energy for both those sides and it's something that comes up to review in in good time after the river settlement but there's still a fair amount of of water being drained out of our grandmother um where it's gotten to the point that now in reviewing the makeup and the dependency on this energy source the energy companies are just going we don't actually have an alternative and we are on a set time they have only a little bit more years i think that in the next 10 they have to be providing sufficient plans to change this alternative source of energy and that's the thing we wanted to make sure that because they wouldn't have said yes but essentially what happened was in hearing our claims at the tribunal in all of our court cases and court hearings for the river changing our arguments shaping it around waiting for better governments to actually hear us out waiting for better judges and and um, judiciary members to actually adopt our line of thinking. Um, we reached the settlement in 2017 with the Crown that essentially established the river as a legal person. It's been heralded around the world as um, something unique. Three years before us, on the same island, um, Te Uruwera, the Tuhoi people had their forest recognised um, but the forest in itself is a completely different makeup because it didn't recognize the aspects of the environment like it does ours, the waterways, the soil and the ground. It only recognizes a plot of an area 
and its forestry makeup. Whereas ours, it represents the legal personification of our grandmother. So when people go, okay, the river is a legal person, now I hope that the listeners can go, it's more than just a legal person, it's their grandmother. That's the that's how we personify. And in the beginning of our podcast, I had said, kaha te Māori ki te whakatangata i tōna ao. The Māori people are very, very high in practice in personifying our environment. So that's that's the bridge of us connecting with this Westminster legal system. And settling the river, I actually still remember parliamentary chambers and I was a bit late. <laughs> um, I was still at uni at the time and I had a test the previous night. But I remember arriving late and you can see everyone's face was just puffy from crying. But it was strange because there's people who once bared their shoulders down so heavily as if things were weighing down on them were now able to stand up quite straight and feel a bit lighter. And in that time, I remember the karanga, the cries echoing down the parliamentary chambers. And it was, it was something else. The English language in itself, I don't think is adequate to describe it. How would you describe it in your language? He karanga nui, he tangi nui. I'd say it was a superior cry and a superior calling. Because... It wasn't just a cry of relief, it was a cry of sending a message to those who had passed that were there in spirit. And you could feel them around you, kind of patting everyone on the back, their great-grandchildren patting them on the back. For sharing that, I really I really appreciate that, and I think um, that's something that will resonate with a lot of people. So I'm just curious if, if there's a word for conservation in Māori. We have a Conservation Act, so the word in itself, recognised in legislation, um, really just talks about how you have a plot of land or, or a landmass area that is going to be taken care of and in a way that it actually allows itself to be itself. That's, that's the concept that we have in the law. Um, I have to say I've, I've seen conservations around New Zealand and here in Aotearoa it's, you know, the, the legal makeup of conservation is inconsistent with what it is that it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that English standing of letting the land be itself, um, the closest that I think for the Māori language is te aki whenua, which is not just care for the land, but it's ensuring that the life force of the land in itself, the Modi, the life force, can be itself without harm, without advancement, because it doesn't need it, because in itself it's continuously advancing. I would say that in the last 10 years, conservation laws are slowly, slowly becoming consistent in a positive space, not in a negative space. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to conservation, it would be tiaki whenua, but when it comes to keeping land, it's pupuri whenua, where the people are the ones who get to live on the land, be native on the land and natural with it. So yeah, you've got tiaki whenua as conservation, and you've got pupuri whenua as living on it.
What were ways that, that you were taught that connection to the land? Yeah, the word Fenwa land, is also the same word we use for our um, placenta. Okay. So, because it gives you life, right? Whilst you're still in the oh, mother's stomach. By you being born, and eventually when your placenta, your fenua comes out, you bury your fenua in your fenua. You bury your placenta in its land. So that way you're giving back the life source and you're acknowledging the connection that you have. Here in Te Ao Māori, what we do is we bury it in a place that we're going to be buried when we pass away. So that way we're coming back, not just to our land, but to the beginning of things. Um, our creator, Io, Matua Kore, the supreme being, uh, the parentless being, that's really what that's translated as, had Rangi and Papa Tuanuku, Sky Father and Earth Mother, who then had um, Tafiri Matia, uh, God of the Winds, Tangarua, God of the Oceans, Tumatauinga, God of War. So you, you have these these breakdowns of whakapapa of genealogy, and eventually you've got Homia, who was um, God of Cultivated Foods. And when it is that we're consuming and having this kai, these foods, we're actually embodying these specific gods and we're becoming closer to them as well. But in also giving back to them is, is the key factor. We're making sure that where it is that we plant things, we've got the Sky Father able to give life, that we're not going to be draining the life from our Earth Mother and putting pines so there's small things like that when it comes to these attributes of the Māori culture that, yeah, Pākehā, the white world, is slowly, slowly grappling and just getting its head around. Thank God now, though, our education system in Aotearoa is making it compulsory for people to learn these things. And also the land wars that our people had against Crown forces. So in that, there's a change of ideology of the people, the Kiwi people in Aotearoa in New Zealand. And when it comes to the Supreme Being embodying things that we can for the environment and taking care of it, we're really embodying those aspects at the same time. Um, so there, there's a huge interrelationship of energy and Modi. And there's Modi energy in all of these things in the sky and the winds and the oceans and food and the earth. Let's talk about climate change. What are some visible impacts that you see? Yeah, we can see a huge difference. Like in particular, in Wanganui, there's waterways that are coming from the mountains that have depleted. And it's not actually because they've been diverted. It's literally because it's just gotten hotter. There's a song that Michael Che wrote where an iceberg that's around Ruapehu, our grandfather, um embodies the likeness of a fish scale because of, you know, how it glistens in the sun and the moon. Because of climate change, though, that fish scale, which we relate to as this is the North Island being Maui's fish that he had fished up, it's disappearing. So the corridor in itself is disappearing with that because it's 
getting too hot. And he wrote a song mourning the disappearance of that iceberg and the corridor and the cultural practices around it because it's called Te Nahi Māori. And because of it, it's it's we're losing um, our own history. Climate change has these very, very strong aspects of just slowly nibbling at what we think is important. And because we're a river people, we're not a um, foreshore-type people, we don't actually experience the rising seas. But in other aspects around the country, you can see it. You know, there's sea level rise is just crazy. And honestly, our South Island, it's overbearing. We have Tangaroa, our um, ocean of, uh, our, our god of the oceans, now connecting closer to his mother, the Earth Mother, Papatuanuku. So yeah, climate change in terms of te ao Māori and our understanding of it has always been there and it's packing on even more now. But in a contemporary sense, it's affecting our culture and our kōrero. In a practical sense, it's it's going to be difficult because when it comes to the, to the difference of cultures, um, what we've done is we're trying to bring cultural elements into this climate change space so that way our culture can understand it uh, but also at the same time we're trying to do it at a, at a pace and in, t- in a good dialogue that the other culture that the Pākehā culture can understand it so that way we're not you know just giving ourselves an understanding and trying to solve problems we're trying to say we're solving these problems and you need to resource us you need to supply us you need to, you need to allow us in these spaces to decide on these things because essentially it's going to affect us all. New Zealand as a whole, though, was so small. So my expectation to the China-type um, countries, to America, is honestly, um, use COVID as an example. Things went down when we were self-isolating. Um, things went down when we were in our own lockdowns. In terms of climate change, you could see that the environment was in a lot of way, replenishing itself. There wasn't as much fossil fuels. Going in terms of clean energy, we've got the old great Elon Musk pushing for more electric cars. Those are quite basic. Us as a country in New Zealand, we are huge in farming, so we need to change our shift of farming cows and all of those carbon emissions into better and more sustainable practices, whilst at the same time feeding the world because the world heavily relies on our supply of meat and farming resources. So it actually takes a change in the thinking and the diet of some people as well. When it comes to climate change, you've got like international leaders saying, oh, hey, our people are going to starve if we don't have this. No, your people won't starve. Have some crops, change their diet. Why do they have to be consuming these things? They'll actually be healthier for it too. When it comes to education and practices, Make sure that younger generations are catching on to what these changes are and not getting anxious and annoyed at older generations for it, but actually being able to have the avenue of providing the solutions that they come up that they come up with. Otherwise, we're just going to get more Greta's who are honestly going around the place and outlining things in an angry way without actually going, here's the solutions. And um, that's what's important. You know, I love for all of her dialogue and corridor that she provides 
and am continuously following other gritters around the place. So yeah, we need to build and improve on how we understand the differences of culture, provide more avenue when it comes to decision making, and change our individual and societal practices. Because honestly, climate change in terms of te ao Māori is very, very scary. So what would you say is the distinguishing factor that has led Māori to be where they are? It is two things, really. One is the retention and fight for our native language, as well as its adaptation. We've got te reo Māori, which is the Māori language, but there's aspects of te reo Māori to different iwi, to different um, tribes around Aotearoa. And each tribe, in a lot of ways, is continuously adapting, at the same time fighting for the retention and growth of their tribal languages, how they view things, because, you know, a language is an avenue into one's cultural thinking. And that we, we call that kōtereo Māori, te matapi ki te ao Māori. And um, other, culture, other tribes around Aotearoa say kōtereo Māori, uh, te kuaha ki te ao Māori, which translates to one, one tribe views it as the Māori language as the window into um, the Māori world, and another one, the Māori language is the doorway into the Māori world. So really, we've done as as much as we can in retaining our language to the point now where we're entertaining people to have a look at the window and then pointing and saying, here's the door if you want to go in. So welcome into our house of learning if you want to, because it's beautiful inside. So we're, we're, we're adapting it in that way where we're saying, you know, no matter who you are, where you are in the world, if you'd like to understand how we think, you, you have to understand our language and aspects of it. Um, and in terms of fighting for the environment and being so punchy and hopeful, that's why I think Māori as a people have done quite well. Um, in upholding our native tongue, we've been able to quite naturally retain our native practices too. But there's still parts of it that we've lost, sincerely lost. Um, and those that are holding strong and adapting are the ones that I can see in the future just continuously being strong for my children, their children's children. So yeah, languages allow a better understanding to one's world. Absolutely. And, you know, I think for us over here, um, Nihiao people, our language is tied to our, our teachings. Our teachings are tied to our language, and it's it's all connected to the earth, to the land, and, and the way we exist as Indigenous people. So I, I can really appreciate that. Hi, hi, Kanaskam Din. I'm so grateful for our conversation today, and I look forward to seeing all of the incredible things that, that you continue to accomplish. I'm going to put some links in the show notes of this, and follow along with some of the work that Tapia was doing.